Good morning. My name's Nick. I'm the associate minister here at Knox, and we've just rounded the corner in our series on Ecclesiastes, studying the wisdom of our good teacher, Coalette, and seeking to understand the foolishness of God, those strange ways of God which make no earthly sense to us, but we trust by faith are better than our ways. And we have so far seen and perhaps even begun to understand in the teacher's writing how that may be, how the meaninglessness that we endure causes us to seek out the source of meaning, how the seasons that we witness remind us that we are not in control, and how the things which we own will not protect us in the day of trouble, rather they may cause us trouble, so that we can use them to be as God is even today, generous and caring to the very least. Once again, the teacher employs in this passage a favorite device of his, maybe even a little bit of a trick that he's especially fond of. He says something that we'll agree with, only to quickly pull the rug out from under us by saying something we'll struggle to accept. A good name is better than precious ointment. Our reputations are worth more than what money can buy. This seems true enough, and so we're ready to trust Coalette once more, and we're hit with that unexpected second line of his poem, and the day of death better than the day of birth. Whoa now. We were on the same page, and now we're most certainly not. This does not seem to have that same ring of truth as his other lessons, especially not as we consider our time and our culture. Birthdays are celebrated and deaths are mourned, or perhaps more often death and talk of death is simply avoided altogether. We are not naturally a people who believe that the day of death is better than the day of birth, and we may hope that our teacher will quickly move on from this most strange way of thinking. And we're not alone in that hope. In a sermon to his congregation 1,600 years ago, St. John Chrysostom said to them of this same verse, but likely enough you do not like the saying and want to evade it. We are not alone in our discomfort here. Chrysostom's church didn't like this. Colette's first readers did not like this. And we today are not particularly fond of it either. Unfortunately for us, as we heard read today by Christine, this thought is precisely where our teacher chooses to linger. The day of death is better than the day of birth. It is better to mourn than to feast. Sorrow is better than laughter. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. If you weren't already depressed this morning, the teacher wants to help get you there. We're really not getting away around talking about this. We may say, why may we say that it is better to mourn than to feast, better to sorrow than to laugh? Are these things not in fact the antithesis of everything that we wait for? Is not all mourning and sorrow to pass away? Isn't that what I preach every single week? It is, and they are passing away. And yet the feasting and the laughter that we know today are shallow semblances of what will be. And worse still, they often lead us astray. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, were glad of what they saw in a fruit in the garden. 
that it was pleasing to the eye and good for food and for gaining wisdom. And so they ate it in their appreciation of it. And by such action, they moved away from God. Had they weighed God's warning in solemnity of thought, this may not have been. But in joy and gladness, in appreciation for what they saw, they sinned. So too, David in his feasting joy was confident that he could not be shaken. Yet he did fall. And it was only in that place of greatest grief and sorrow that he would call out to God again. We've probably all made mistakes in excitement, in joy, that led to still greater grief. And if only we had had more of an opportunity to consider our actions, then we may not have fallen into such folly and sin. But still, this does not explain why the end of a thing is better than its beginning, or the day of death than the day of birth. Beginnings are wonderful, aren't they? At the beginning, everything is so fresh and full of promise. The whole story is yet to unfold, and it seems as if anything could happen. The end is so final, with the story already written. But perhaps that is precisely what the teacher hopes to help us see. At the end, we do know the story. We do not have the uncertainty of what may be. We can remember with gladness what has been. We can enjoy the fullness of the story and mark it as having been good, as having patiently endured both good and bad and accomplished much for the glory of God and the good of the world. At the beginning, things were difficult and the story was uncertain. But the end has cause for us to remember, cause for our sad countenances to make our hearts very glad. Now, as we've discovered, this teacher of ours is ever one for paradoxes and careful instruction, and he won't leave us at this point, because there are so many stories about our past that we just love to tell over and over of seasons long since ended, but which we remember with thanksgiving and gladness, affirming that the end maybe truly is better than the beginning. And suddenly, in verse 10, Colette continues, Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. I joked earlier this week that this question might be the question which forms most easily on Presbyterian lips. Why were the former days better than these? We've probably been asking a question something like that for about 200 years at Knox Church. And the teacher rebukes all of us who are so wooed by the past in such a way as to ask, why were the former days better than these? It is not from wisdom that you ask this. There is a great temptation in our position of privilege, knowing the stories of our past, to remember those days nostalgically, to remember them as they never really were, to overemphasize the glory and to forget the many troubles because the troubles of this day have gripped us fast. In my home congregation of St. Andrews in Windsor, which has since closed, so nobody will mind me telling this story, from the time I was a child, I remember hearing the legends of Dr. Pollen. You guys don't know Dr. Pollen, but if you know Knox Church, think Dr. Owen, okay? The legends of Dr. Pollen. And those great glory days of lawn chairs set up outside because the pews couldn't hold any more people. 
and of the dignitaries of the city sitting in the north balcony of being the largest congregation in the Presbyterian Church in Canada. These legends of St. Andrews instilled a fear of change, that with every change we moved further and further away from those wonderful days. And we had congregational meetings where every speaker began by sharing how long they had attended that church. It was not from wisdom that we told ourselves these stories. It was not from wisdom that we ruminated on what was and the great injustices of declining membership and declining trust funds. I wonder what stories of our past have trapped us in that past, asking again and again out of folly why these days are worse than what was. What oppression or injustice of our present is making us cling to foolishness and neglect long-suffering for the sake of our pride? When we pause to reflect on what shapes our days, are we reacting to the troubles that we perceive, or are we doing what the teacher instructs, that we might consider the work of God? Who can make straight what he has made crooked? This is jarring, too. We like straight things. We like neat and tidy things. And the teacher suggests that some things are just crooked. And God made them that way. And try as we might, we're not going to be making them straight. That perhaps even when we sit in a house of mourning and remember the injustices we have suffered which have led us to this place, we should be contemplating instead the very work of God. Yes, we would all like to live in a simpler world where cause and effect are obvious to us, where outcomes are predictable. We would like to live in a world where we apply for a job and then we get the job, where we go to the doctor and then we're well, where we work hard and then we succeed. Yet this is so often not the way things are. Together today, having just heard the challenges facing Knox camps this summer, we would very much prefer to live in a world where you apply for a grant and then you receive the grant. That not being what is, we could ruminate on how we've received this grant in the past and why were the former days better than these. Or we could hypothesize about injustice, as some already have, and suggest maybe the government is intentionally choosing fewer churches to receive this grant. We could do those things, or we could consider the very work of God, who, when we want things to be neat and tidy, has made some things crooked. Where is God in the midst of the difficulties that we now face? What if God has made some things in your life, in my life, in the life of our church, just a little wonky, with a few more twists and turns than we would have designed for ourselves, but did so for our good? What if not receiving the Canada Summer Jobs Grant this year is the knot in the story which reminds us that it has always been God who provides, not the government of Canada, not excellent staff who prepare grants for us, but God 
by God's own hand? What if this could be an opportunity for us to put into action what we talked about only last week, that we might put our bread upon the water, storing up treasure for ourselves in acts of charity and in the name of God, who is the God of all charity? We do not know for what reason God has made some things crooked, only that if God made them that way, we're not going to be straightening them. And we must trust God to bring even the strangely bent stories and parts of our lives to a good end in God's great mercy and love. It is the promise of our Lord that he is truly making all things new. And because of the ministry of Christ, what is now is better than what was before, but perhaps still a little crooked, a little wonky, There may be loop-de-loops and twirls where we wanted a straight line. And you may be saying, but what about that thing about the day of death being better than the day of birth? Have I been trying to evade that hard saying even as Chrysostom was sure his congregation would want to evade these truths? No. But rather, it was important that we have a sense of the whole before we got into this most difficult saying once again. Because in light of the cross and the resurrection and the very good news of Jesus Christ, we may rightly say that the day of death is better than the day of birth. Because in our deaths, we find our fullest rest in Christ. And in that death, which is baptism, we are united to Christ most truly. As Jesus said to his disciples, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In losing our lives, bearing the name of Christ to the world, we truly find life to the full. This is a very strange and crooked wisdom of God. The work of Christ in the world is odd and upside down. Because if we were going to look for life someplace, we would probably look in a nursery or look in a forest. But Jesus brings life to those who are in the grave. And if we were looking for joy, we would look at a party, look at a celebration. But Jesus brings joy to those who mourn. And if we were to look for hope, many of us would look for it in our past. But thanks be to God who is making all things new, and by whose resurrection power we are assured that the very best is not in our past, but is still to come. This is what we celebrate at this table, that all that we now know, even this very meal, is but a foretaste of a promised future, the wedding supper of the Lamb. So do not ask why were the former days better than these, for God speaks a trustworthy and true word that all things are being made new. And we may trust even the things we wish were straight, But God has made crooked, because by those same strange and crooked ways, we know that we will find life in the grave, and truly the day of death will be better than the day of birth. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Would you pray with me? God of all wisdom, 
Truly, your ways are higher than our ways, and your thoughts are better than our thoughts. And the things which we would like to be a certain way, and you've given them to us in another way, we say are crooked, are foolish, are wonky, are bent out of shape. But we see in the ministry of Jesus how a crooked plan of, of dying on a cross can bring life to the world. We see in the ministry of Jesus how going to those who mourn can bring about great joy. And so we see in him the promise that even crooked ways, even strange things, can be better than we ever imagined. And so we bring to you the sorrows of our lives, the plans which we made which haven't panned out, the things we imagined would be one way but have turned out another. And we ask that you would help us to turn away from nostalgic remembrance of the past, to turn away from grieving the injustices which have been wrought upon us, and help us to imagine where your hand could be at work. Why is it that you have done a strange thing in our lives? What is it that you could be inviting us into? Help us to consider your work, O God, and to acknowledge that no one can make straight what you have made crooked. We pray this in your name and for your kingdom's sake. Amen. I'd love you to begin to reflect for just a minute about what things feel crooked in your life right now and to begin to consider how that might be the work of God. Thank you. 